Welcome, everybody. This is the Wasatch Report, episode number 57. I am Suzanne Sherman. Jeff Johnson is back from his vacation. Long-awaited return. Really happy to have you back. Your co-host, producer, and amazing friend. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about a, a proposed mandatory gun insurance regulation coming out of the city of California. Uh, I'm sorry, city of San Jose in California. This is something, is, this is my former stomping grounds. They've wanted to do this for quite some time. We're also going to talk about the decline of the mom and pop RV park and why you should care. You can listen to the show on Anchor FM. Please support the show on that page. I know we're dealing with inflation. A lot of people have suffered the past year. If you could do 99 cents a month, that would really help us. And you can share, drive traffic to us, share the episodes, share the downloads, get people going over there. That really helps. We do broadcast live from Facebook on my Facebook page, Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report radio show. If you're interested in our take on preparedness and survival, check out the Red Hot Chili, C-H-I-L-L-Y, the Red Hot Chili Prepper page on Facebook and the podcast by that same name also on Anchor FM. Suzanne C. Sherman.com is my website. There you can find many of my uh, published articles uh, by the 10th Amendment Center, as well as the American Conservative Abbeville Institute and on the blog page, personal blogs, just some of my ramblings that uh, just really belonged on my own website, but go do and check that out. I really focus a lot on federalism for the political slant. A lot of people uh, are really slow to understand the incorporation doctrine and why it is an affront on the Constitution. You can go to the uh, Suzanne's published articles page and read all about federalism. Spend a day there and also at the page of our good friends at the 10th Amendment Center, and you will know more about the Constitution than any sitting federal judge. Also, we have an Amazon affiliate set up on the suggested reading page. Go check that out. Speaking of suggested reading, the Lost Frontier Handbook is available in the printed format. Finally, I want to thank those that have sent me their books to sign them and uh, send them back to them. I'm happy to do that. Just reach out to me and include a shipping label and I'll get it right back out to you as well. The Lost Frontier Handbook, Learn the Ways of the Pioneers. It is your ultimate guide to self-reliance. Jeff, I did a, a interview with our good friend Mike Church the other day from the Crusade Channel, and he has a free farm Friday. It used to be free phone Friday, but uh, he's gotten into the preparedness aspect too. So we had a really fun interview, and he took that segment beyond the paywall, and the link is on the Wasatch Report show page as well as my personal Facebook page. So do give that a listen. It was a really fun show, and he was very generous in promoting the book. So we really do appreciate that. Jeff, a lot of folks are cheering on the overturning of the AR ban in California. And it seems like just a few of us are out here in the boonies going, no, this is not a good idea. And they're referring to Heller. They're referring to McDonald. They're talking about the Second Amendment. But does a federal court really have the authority to overturn a state law? We're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because we we talk about it all the time and we've got other things to cover. But essentially, a federal judge uh, last week overturned the longtime ban on assault weapons, saying the state's law was unconstitutional, apparently he's never heard of the 10th Amendment, and that prohibiting such firearms was a failed experiment. 
his logic is correct. He also compared the, um, the, the type of firearm to a Swiss army knife. Now, Jeff, when I was in California and I was in um, law school, we had moot appellate court and our constitutional lodge uh, professor was really a, a sitting practicing superior court judge. So he was running this and we were talking about assaults and we're talking about um, using a deadly weapon. And the question he, that was before us to argue was what constitutes a lethal weapon? And this is exactly what Judge Foley uh, said to me was, well, you know, I have this little paring knife here and he held up a little knife and goes, I can, I can use it to peel and slice an apple or I can use it to stab somebody. But what it's used for is depending upon me as an individual, what's in my brain, how do I decide to use it? Is this a lethal weapon as it's just sitting there? And this is the logic that the judge used um, in overturning the assault rifle ban in California. He compared it in his case to a Swiss army knife. He says like the Swiss army knife, the popular AR-15 rifle is a perfect combination of home defense weapon and homeland defense equipment. And this was Justice Benitez. Jeff, I don't know if you ever heard this episode, but back on the old channel with uh, with on Mike's network, we did a show about the AR-15. A good friend of ours who was a munitions expert, firearms expert, said uh, what we argued was not only is the AR-15 a good home defense weapon, it is an optimal home defense weapon. And it's a tool. You know, there's no such thing as an assault gun. And assault is really, uh, it's it's a verb. And so we will uh, also shared an article. If you go to SuzanneCSherman.com, there is one about the constitutionality of federal assault rifle bans. And I really don't like that term. I am just using that so we can uh, fit in there. Why don't we share some of these comments? Andrew Avery says, uh, Andrew Avery says, I don't know about California's constitution, but I thought they did they did not have protect the gun rights of Californians from the California legislature. Then I think Jeff, you had done the research on that and said that the constitution in California was silent on firearms. To me, that could mean one of two things that those that were proposing and writing this constitution in California never delegated the power to regulate them at all. And accordingly, every California firearms restriction is unconstitutional because it was never delegated or they can do whatever they want. I kind of like the former argument, but we know it's California and that's never going to um, and that's never going to go away. John St. Yes. Clair, isn't government overturning itself a good thing? It is. But the problem is, or I should say it depends. This is not government overturning itself. This is not California waking up and saying, you know, these assault rifle bans are really freaking stupid. We're not going to do it anymore. This was a federal judge, a federal judge, different jurisdiction within the state of California. So the federal government, by judicial fiat, is issuing a negative over a state law in direct contravention to the 10th Amendment, using the incorporation doctrine of the 14th Amendment, which is absolutely unhistorical. It would have been, it was considered repugnant by the founding generation and the ratifiers of the Constitution. And here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before, James Madison and, and Edmund Randolph proposed the Virginia plan, which would have had a negative, a federal negative over state laws. So what was rejected outright in, in Philadelphia, we are still getting to this day, only it's coming from 
the federal legislature, I beg your pardon, the federal judiciary and not the federal legislature. But the practical effect is the same darn thing. That is, again, the submission of the state at the whim of the federal judiciary or the federal government because they have a different policy outcome. This now will be set up to go to the Supreme Court. You are rolling the dice by having the Supreme Court say, well, you know what? Assault rifle bans are fine with us. Boom, there's the law of the land. This is really, really ill-advised as a strategy. Vote, change your legislatures, change the laws. If you can't vote with your feet, leave. If you want to roll the dice, you better know a lot of people that understand jury nullification and hope one of those ends up on a jury if you are charged under those laws. As I recall, there were three states that have are basically, they're silent on their version of a Second Amendment. And I believe it was Maryland, New York, and California. Uh, if I'm incorrect, somebody in the chat, please correct me. But I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably positive those were the three. What it comes down to is, you know what? It really sucks to live in those states because <laughs> your constitution is awful, uh, and that's the constitution that matters. What this judge did is he just overturned uh, that state's constitution. Because it's silent, uh, he, they are pretty much free to do whatever uh, their constituents decide they want them to do or ignore their constituents and do whatever the heck they want to do. And that's mostly what most of these three states do because most of their constituents would rather have firearms. These federal judges have no negative over the states. And the fact of the matter is Pennsylvania has a great constitution and it has a great Second, well, it's Article 23, I believe. Uh, Article 1, Section 23. Excuse me. I'll get it right. And that's a really good one. And, but now, does the state of Pennsylvania obey their own constitution? No. They're much like the federal government, which is expressly forbidden in the Second Amendment from doing anything related to infringing on firearms. Uh, they it was never delegated to them. It was never delegated to the judiciary to be ruling on firearms. So beyond the fact that they are ruling on something that's out of their purview because it's it's covered on the, under the 10th Amendment, they're ruling on something that they weren't even delegated authority to rule. They were never issued authority on firearms under Article 1, Section uh, 8, under Article 3. It doesn't matter what article you go to, the federal government has no authority over firearms. And now, thanks to, again, the incorporation doctrine, people just don't understand the, the, how this created substantive due process. I remember my constitutional constitution em emphasis on con because it is the way they teach the way they teach the Constitution in law school. He was talking about these these rights and these they were never mentioned in the Constitution itself. Where do these substantive due process rights, meaning the right to gay marriage, the right to abortions, all these other things that the Supreme Court have ruled on, education, discrimination, you know, segregation, everything. These rights bring forth, this is what he did. He just put his hands forth like it was growing from the ground, like corn, stalks growing from the ground. They spring forth from the 14th Amendment. What does that mean? The freaking judges made it up. You take a contract, you take a compact, 
and you change the rules as you go. And there's really no way to fix that as they go. We're going to take a quick break for our friends at Anchor FM and then talk a little bit about a proposed in the city of San Jose, California, mandatory gun insurance. We'll be right back. Walk away Pretending things will be okay you were gone, that you had moved on, but you're here on my caller ID. I'm not surprised your delusional mind thinks it might be all right to call me. All right, everybody, welcome back from our break from our friends at Anchor FM. In the first segment of the show, we're talking a little bit about the AR ban and how that was overturned by a federal judge in contravention to the Constitution as ratified in the 10th Amendment. Now I want to talk about a uh, San Jose, California, and this is direct fallout from the shooting um, that uh, a shooting that they had in the wake of the rail yard, rail yard mass shooting. And they have reintroduced a proposal for mandatory gun owners insurance, annual gun fee, and other provisions aimed at mitigating gun violence this week. And this was at the Valley Transportation Authority rail yard shooting. Jeff, that was right next door to the downtown Hall of Justice. I used to drive to that place on my way to court every morning. So this is my concern here, um, that this type of registration or insurance is going to be a de facto form of gun registration. He says here, without with council approval, San Jose would become the first city in the U.S. to require every gun owner to have liability insurance cover for their firearms. This is their uh, mayor, Sam Licardo. And he said uh, this was after the VTA workers were killed at the railroad yard. The move comes after he first proposed the insurance after the Gilroy Garlic Festival mass shooting in 2019. You can actually go over to SuzanneCSherman.com and I wrote an article about the Gilroy garlic shooting there. And I said, Sherry, uh, Sheriff Lori Smith has gun on uh, gun blood on her hands because she is the one who refuses has a blanket policy where she refuses to issue any concealed carry permits. If, however, you donate to her campaign for election or reelection, you are in if you want a concealed carry gun. So let me finish up with this article really quick here. He says that the move comes after, I said that, the, the mayor said the insurance would be little to no extra cost for some home, uh, owners who already have it as part of their homeowner's policy. Let's take this apart for a second, Jeff. First of all, like I've already said, this is a form of de facto gun registration. Little to no cost for homeowners. What do you think, Jeff, the insurance industry is going to surreptitiously or perhaps like we've seen uh, businesses, private in air quotes, businesses adopting the government, um, uh, you know, talking points and finally saying, you know what, we're not going to cover homeowners. We're not going to cover gun liability for homeowners insurance. 
we're not going to have an exclusion for you, but if you say you have firearms in the house, not only are we not going to insure your liability, we're not going to insure you at all. Boom. Guns are gone. That's just another way of them getting you to surrender your guns. Well, gosh darn it, I can't leave California. My stepson's mom will never let us, you know, leave the state here. I mean, you just, you're going to have all these ways where people can't leave or my work is here. I can't leave the state. Well, you can't get homeowners insurance either. So what are you going to do now? Well, here's the end. Here's the thing. In New York, they passed something called the SAFE Act. Mm -hmm. And under that day, it was straight up registration. They were going to make you register firearms. After the first year, it turned out that about 200,000 firearms were registered out of the estimated uh, 3 million that had to be registered under the law. So what basically people did is they ignored it. And what the state police finally had to admit, they weren't going to enforce it because no one was obeying it anyway. So here's the thing. It's really going to come down to if they if they pass some ordinance like that, you don't, you just don't have any firearms. I mean, I, I don't have firearms. No, I don't have them. I'm not going to, I don't have to register them. I don't have to insure them because I don't own any just straight up uh, civil disobedience. That's straight where up, we're headed. Not, you not have compliant. to not comply. That's all it is. I mean, we are at that point. Uh, if you know, we're seeing all these rumors about coming out of Washington, DC about Biden, he's going to do, some sort of EO on them, executive order on them. I'm just going to ignore him. There was no boating accident, I, Andrew. I just never owned them. I, They're not I think, around. I think he already issued um, one on the pistol brace, did he not? For those that don't, can only oh. use one hand, there's they are now. So if you are disabled, if you can only shoot with one hand or you're missing an arm, whatever, now that's discriminatory. You are disabled. You no longer have that option to protect yourself. And by the way, if you are an apologist and made excuses for the bump stock ban, put a sock in it. I don't want to hear a word out of you because this is just as bad as the bump stock ban. The bump stock ban was just as bad as this. I don't want to hear the, oh, I know I don't really need one or I don't need a pistol brace. Well, some people do. So this yeah. is a matter of choice. And even more so, it's a matter of it not being any of the government's business. Number one. Number one, the president was never given any executive power to issue laws or regulations. I, I dare anyone out there, somebody go there and find where the government, uh, the president was given the power to pass edicts that require you to do something. Well, and this is this is what we saw this past year with the lockdown orders, all the other restrictions we've seen from these government, these governor tyrants. And again, having the executive, the branch of the government that executes and enforces the laws should never be empowered to create such laws. Yet it happened across this continental landmass. And that's what's in, and we're seeing more of the same thing. I'm going to share now. Here's here's where the constitutional analysis comes on. First of all, let me say the mayor is directing a team of experts to cost uh, calculate the cost of a proposed annual gun fee to San Jose taxpayers. How many people, Jeff, do you think that have stolen firearms or gotten them that were stolen or criminals, members of prohibited classes, gang members? How many of these people are, gonna, are going to be paying these fees? How many of these people are going to be having liability insurance? This is a matter of California making the law-abiding citizens 
pay for the malfeasance of the criminals. California does all this talk about equality, but they are blatantly discriminating against law-abiding gun owners. But you know what? It's okay because there are certain people it is okay to discriminate against. You own a gun? We can discriminate you. You don't want to get a, a stab in the arm? We're going to discriminate you against you. You don't want to put a sauce against your face to go out? We're going to discriminate against you. Discrimination's okay as long as it is a member of a class that they don't consider a victim or worthy of being a victim if they turn you into one. This is getting a little sick of it. So here's what he's saying. The, the, the gun violence is going to cost the state taxpayers $1.4 billion. So only a certain segment of that population is going to bear the cost of it. The Democrats out here in the state of Utah and the legislature here tried to do the same thing. They wanted to go and uh, have a slush fund from the concealed carry permit fees to pay for prevention of suicide and gun violence. Oh, well, don't you want to prevent suicide? Sure I do. It's not the government's permission to do, to do that. That's what I'm really happy about for the, um, uh, the passing of permitless carry, by the way, in the state of Utah. It's no longer a slush fund for them to use uh, for their pet projects. So Here's now his Second Amendment analysis. There we go. We are cognizant, as the Second Amendment dictates, so that we will not be imposing fees that are so great to be prohibitive to ownership. So in this guy's opinion, the Second Amendment is really a sliding scale. Remember what Justice John Marshall said? I think it was McCulloch versus Maryland. The power to tax is the power to destroy. We are cognizant that we will not be imposing, let's say, an infringement that is going to prohibit ownership because it's just a little infringement. A tax is an infringement. The mayor also proposed other major, uh, measures aimed at curbing gun, uh, gun control, such as strengthening the effectiveness of gun violence restraining orders, preventing straw purchases of firearms, and requiring finger, fingerprinting for ammunition purchases. That's where they've completely gone crazy. Jeff, when you're going to have ammunition that's this difficult to get, what do you think it's going to be like for people that are going to, I don't know, say Walmart or a sporting goods store? There could be somebody in there watching them get ammunition. You're going to leave yourself vulnerable. They can follow you home. They can break into your car if you make another stop. Restricting ammunition is really, really uh, short-sighted and just another stupid thing to do, but it's not unconstitutional. So let's just get that out of the way right now. You know, not unexpected, Gun Owners of America are getting involved. Sam Paredes, executive director, told KPX5 he is creating a coalition of gun rights advocates to challenge the ordinance should they pass. I strongly believe the mayor is trying to do things he has no authority to do. He argues that the state's preemption laws prevent local governments from passing different gun laws. Now, this issue of preemption was raised when somebody said, well, can can somebody actually do that? The states have a different standard when it comes to their relation with the counties and the municipalities. And we'll get right into that after our break for Roxanne, our musical sponsor.
Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. Walk away Pretending things will be okay All right, everybody, I'm just going to bring up now the issue of preemption, because in California, they do not have a statewide requirement for insurance or the fees that they're talking about in this group. The Hamiltonians when the constitution was being proposed, really wanted the states to be mere subsidiaries of the federal government, the United, the United States, instead of these United States. The states, when they were formed, were are different. So the state is the supreme entity within that sovereign entity. And then you have the municipalities, the counties, and so on and so forth. So under the doctrine of preemption, they can't have these laws. The city of San Jose, under that theory, can't do it. Jeff, you and I are all for local control. It gets really dicey when you talk about stuff like this um, because, well, you can be driving through one neighborhood, cross an imaginary boundary, and now all of a sudden be in violation of a law. So that's why it doesn't really work in there. But you know what? That's why if the government minds its own business and doesn't have these insane prohibitions, you're not going to have this issue. And you really can have local leadership where government is so small, it ha- you hardly know it's there. If the governments limit themselves to protecting life, liberty, and property, it's not going to be an issue what neighborhood you go into. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. See, here's the thing. California, I'm going to put that aside because we already discussed it there. Constitution is silent on guns, pretty much. So if you go to Pennsylvania's Constitution, you'll find that it is not silent on that. And beyond that, there is preemption in Pennsylvania. So the state is can preempt cities doing something against the Constitution. So it, say Philadelphia passed this, this law. They are in violation of the state Constitution which they cannot do. They are bound to obey what is in the state constitution as long as they're part of the state of Pennsylvania. So beyond that, the state then can preempt that law because it is in violation of the constitution. So they can preempt those type laws. That's the difference between a state that has a good constitution and states that don't. And again, there's only three that are really awful. Uh, the rest, the other uh, 47 are relatively good. There's some that are better than others. Pennsylvania is one of the best. And I, I keep, you know, rubbing in the nose of some of our Texas friends that ours is a little better than theirs. Uh, not that it matters, but because our right. government, our government ignores it. Uh, the Pennsylvania government ignores it as well. Yours so. actually says shall not be questioned. How many questions yeah. are on the books out yeah. there? Thousands, I am sure. And here is now, uh, again, the GOA, not to be outdone in stupidity by the NRA in this matter. He says, um, 
We strongly believe that uh, un it is unconstitutional for the government to require law-abiding citizens who are doing nothing more than, oh, I hate reading this, exercising their Second Amendment rights to be required to have insurance or to be taxed while they are exercising that enumerated right. Okay, first of all, he's right. It's unconstitutional from a federal level. We've already covered whether or not this is unconstitutional in California. This is simply an issue of jurisdiction. California's firearms law laws are never going away. If you want to contain them, this is a quarantine I support. If you want to contain them, you have to let these matters be adjudicated exclusively within the state of California judicial system. When you take this, to the Supreme Court, you open the door for the rest of tyranny in California to spread and permeate across this continental landmass. And then for the executive director of the GOA to use the term Second Amendment rights that are specifically enumerated, this enumeration is a restriction. It is no more than a reiteration that nowhere under Article 1, Section 8, will you find the authority for the general government to regulate firearms other than the authority to arm the militia? That is it. When the leaders, when Scalia, when Alito, when NRA, when GOA doesn't understand this fundamental premise, it's not that hard to get, folks. But this is the opposite of what we are taught in school all the way through law school. The mayor's gun insurance and fee proposal will head to the rules committee next week. If passed, the uh, proposal could come before the full city council for the end of the month. Again, to have this matter adjudicated, it must stay within the state of California system, or you can expect this to come across the continental landmass. You know where I first heard about the internet sales tax, Jeff? California. That idiocy from California will spread. It's really important to nip this in the bud and keep it there. Because what they're going to say, rights are subject to reasonable regulation. Rights are not without limits. That's why the politicians, the judges all say, and the news pundits all refer to these as Second Amendment rights, First Amendment rights. There is no wiggle room if you use the appropriate term to say these are unequivocal, absolute restrictions from the general government regulating or otherwise opining on these laws, period. End of story. So we'll see what happens. We're going to take a break. Unless, Jeff, you want to say anything else before we go to the next segment? Yes. I wanted to comment on this whole GOA, NRA, and NG, whatever, uh, National Gun Rights Association, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter which one of these rights associations, and I'll lump in pro-life. When it really comes down to it, they have no problem with having gun control because it, that's their bread and butter. So as soon as there's another uh, a new gun control law being uh, proposed by anybody, that's the headline on the next fundraising letter. Yep, It's all about money. The NRA, it's all about money. So who's the one that has straddled us with the stupid um, incorporation doctrine? It was the NRA. Why? Because they, 
they gave away our natural right to own firearms and defend ourselves to have that next fundraising letter. Uh, Pro-life, same thing. They won't even talk about the abolition of, uh, of abortion. Why? Because if they abolish it, then they can't send out letters and make uh, millions of dollars every year, all these people that are on these boards. So really what it comes down to, whenever you see a rights organization, the only thing that they're interested in, and it's not about your right, the only thing they your want wallet. is your money. That's yep. it. So that's why, uh, hey, I'm a life member of the NRA because I joined years ago when I was just 20 years old. I, I did a life membership. Uh, back then, I didn't know what I know now. I have learned that they are not our friends. They are there to make deals with government so that they can have new laws so that they can send out that next fundraising letter. NRA stands for Negotiating Rights Away or No, ri no Rifles in America. We're going to be right back after a final word from our friends at Anchor FM, and uh, we're going to change topics. We'll be right back. everybody really pleased to see some new folks joining us today and commenting prolifically so this is a lot of fun again this is the wasatch report episode 57 i'm suzanne sherman jeff johnson and a slew of folks in our cyber audience here on the facebook live feed that's a facebook live suzanne sherman's the wasatch report radio show you can catch us there you can also catch us on anchor fm please consider donating and supporting the show. I know it's tough. A lot of people are dealing with inflation. A lot of people are suffering after the uh, ex uh, extreme cruelty of government over the past year. If you can do 99 cents a month over at Anchor FM, that helps. There's also a donate button at SuzanneCSherman.com. We would really appreciate it. Jeff, I came across an article today. You know I'm an avid RVer, and I know you have a you have a brand new camper that uh, you just now uh, have been taking up to your new property in Maine. And I came across a newsletter because I subscribed to some of these for RVs. And they ask, is the demise of mom and pop campgrounds really such a bad thing? Now, we've talked the past year how certain uh, stores that are in cahoots and benefiting off of the government mandates, lockdowns, et cetera, and all the shutdowns from the stores have done very well. A lot of the mom and pop merchants that don't sell essential items or have uh, services that are deemed essential, like it happened here with the Summit County Sandinistas, have, have gone away. A lot of them have gone out of business. They will never get back. Jeff, you and I talked about what happened with the uh, loans, with the small business loans that were being given out for the COVID 
And they said, well, you know, um, people need to go to their banks and get these loans to carry them through. And one of the commentators, this was on the Faux News Network, said, yeah, but, you know, what if you have family members that that helped you get your business started and you don't have a bank loan for your business? The other pundit said, then you need to start a relationship with the bank. Well, good for you. So you start a relationship with the bank. You get out a loan for your business. The government continues to shut you down. You go out of business. Who owns your business? The bank. Working in cahoots with the government. Don't lay down with dogs. So the demise of the mom and pop store and I, or the mom and pop campground. So I will tell you, Jeff, when, I, when I'm camping, I typically, if I go, if we're traveling and need to stop somewhere, I usually go to the KOAs because they're consistent and you always know what you're getting. I will say this, one of the best night's sleep I ever had was when we were driving out from California to look at this property. And I, I, I went to a truck stop in Winnemucca, backed up between two long haulers with their generators on and slept there. You don't necessarily have to go to a campground if you are traveling to these places. But sometimes I will want to go to a place, stay for a few days and see the area. Yeah, you know what? I like the nice amenities. I like a swimming pool. I like stuff like that. But some of these smaller places don't have that. And that's what they discuss here. He says that I'm not sure yet myself if the loss of small family owned parks should be decried or celebrated. I'm bringing the issue out of the dusty topic closet for little discussion. So what got him thinking was a column that he saw by a former owner of a small RV park in Virginia. So if anybody out in that area is called Walnut Hills RV Park in Staunton, Virginia, the owner there, uh, Andy Zipser, recently sold the park to an up and coming corporate group that owns and operates about a dozen parks. So he says here, I've known Andy for all of the eight campground owning years since most of them, his park was a KOA. And this gentleman was a vice president for a KOA. That's Campgrounds of America. And they, what he's saying here, the story of campground ownership for this man reflects the outcome of many of the, that many of the park owners seek. First, you buy a campground, you pour your sweat equity and improvements so you can afford a few years. At the end, you successfully cash out sometimes to another family, but now it's more likely like Andy, you send to a group or a, you sell, I'm sorry, to a group or a, co a corporation. So back to the original statement, how can the demise of small campgrounds be a good thing? So over the past two decades, he's observed uh, hundreds of eager couples purchase mom and pop type campgrounds. Most were mortgaged to the hilt to make it happen. And although they were required to have at least a minimum amount of available operating capital to start their ownerships, even the small ones can make money, but typically the financial demands of debt service and other family expenses don't leave a lot of cash to pour back into these smaller businesses, even though they might try. So these small family-owned campgrounds certainly do add improvements and amenities where they can, it's just slower. And I've seen that. I mean, Jeff, I don't know if you've camped at different campgrounds, but I some, you know, they're small family run and they really don't have a lot of amenities. In fact, there's a KOA out in Monument Valley. It's a, it's on the Navajo uh, Nation Reservation down there. It was, I went the first summer they were open, bare bones, but a great place to stay. I also stayed at another place that was a family organized 
family owned business that used to be a KOA and it was fantastic. So, but the demise of the mom and pop campgrounds, he's saying here that it might be harsh to point the finger at any one person. But what he says here, it's the demands of the market capital that dictates what happens in any industry. And there's something he leaves out in the story, Jeff, when I get to the end, I'm sure you'll know what it is. He's saying the campers today want more. They want more food services. I was at one that was, the, I mean, the, now they're delivering pizza to your RVs there. More food services, more amenities, uh, more sites, more space, 3050 site park um, they want. And they want, uh, the, the again, the bigger spots. Wi-Fi, a lot of the complaints for these places are the Wi-Fi isn't slow. Essentially, people want the comforts of home when they're out camping. And let's face it, RV parks, I don't consider camping. It's just a place I, for us. Jeff, what put me on the map was taking my boys out for a month on the road. We stayed at a lot of parks. We didn't go out in the, in the wilderness because we were, you know, acting as tourists and seeing a lot of, of the places here. But they, you know, some of the complaints are poor Wi-Fi. The roads aren't paved. The sites that were built in the 70s don't fit uh, current RVs with their slide outs. And so people are looking for the more modern industry. So the downside of this, though, is it, this isn't this isn't really new. Every industry involves the mom and pop 12 unit roadside motels. Uh, now they have they said the motel super sixes and eights and they in turn now you see the chains going up along these but you know jeff what i what i thought was missing from this and we we can put the link in here so people can see it. we won't go through the whole article what i thought was important here is they didn't mention anything about the lockdowns last year and this is you know this might be an industry trend but what alerted to me this you know to me more was the fact that this business is suffering as well. And just like the other mom and pop businesses, say the hardware stores, the corner grocery stores that weren't able to stay open and keep people, keep people there, we're going to lose this. And this is an industry that might not mean a lot to you, but wouldn't it be sad if the only places where you can go and stay were owned by the larger corporations? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the good Sam's, with the, um, with the KOAs, but some of the best places I have ever stayed have been off the beaten path, single family owned. You get exceptional service there. So I guess my message would be to let people know, you know, if you can do business with these smaller places and just like I would say, do business with the, your community grocery store, Jeff, there's one at your place out where you are that I know you love to go to try and do business with those. I mean, I, I love KOA. I've been to, you know, some of these other resorts and they're fantastic, but I'd hate to have that be my only option. I agree with you on that. And I really am trying, I do try to shop mostly at mom and pops. I stayed in a mom and pop when I was just on vacation. So I do try to do what I preach about. We were, we're going to discuss in another show. And I brought this up uh, while we were talking before the show about this, um, I think it's a corporation that's um, called Blackwater Resources. And it's basically what it is. It's buying up a lot of the properties. It's, it's my, your, your regular house, your home. Mm -hmm. And what it is is being funded by the Federal Reserve. So the fund, Federal Reserve is putting all this money, putting it into this corporation, and this corporation is buying up all the properties. So the regular old mom and pop homes are gonna be the thing of the past. And the mom and pop stores, if they got these loans, will probably end up being a thing in the past because 
they won't be unable to repay those loans. Uh, the mom and pop campgrounds are going to go away. Corporations are going to be buying them all up. So uh, there's a there's a common thread here in, in this corporations. And uh, I have no issue with corporations per se, but when they are trying to take us back to the feudals where you have to go to your feudal lord to get housing, to go camping, to go shopping. You see, your feudal lord will rule everything about you. Don't get the vaccination. Feudal lord's not going to let you shop. Uh, don't uh, You have a firearm? Feudal lord's not going to let you shop or stay there or rent a house from them. So there is a big problem here, and we're going to discuss that in another show in more in depth. But it does go to this mom and pop thing. It really does. And here's the other thing, too. Notice the difference in customer service. And if you have issues, um, look how they can how they can rectify a complaint you might have. If you have a problem with your service at my local grocery store, I talk to the owner or I talk to somebody that can reach the owner. We did a show about a local restaurant out here. And uh, this was a couple of years ago where I was open carrying before you could conceal carry legally in Utah. And they didn't have any kind of a firearms, you know, sticker on the door saying that you couldn't come in like Whole Foods, you suck. And I went in there and a waiter came up and said, you can't come in here open carrying. I said, it says nothing on the door. Eventually they called the owner and he said, oh yeah, let her in. No problem. And I had a conversation with him because I gave them a review and he reached out to me and, and he had me come and treated me to an amazing lunch. And he uh, essentially said, you know, I'm in Park City and, and I'm dealing with the demographics here, which is, I call it practically California PC. And uh, I've got to work with my customers. But he goes, they know anytime anybody sees you, you can come in. You try and do this at a chain restaurant. Pick one. Oh, it's corporate. There's nothing we can do. It's corporate. I saw a woman that was, um, we were in Denny's in uh, Vernon, Utah, and she was this, there was no mask mandate in Vernal, Vernal, I'm sorry, Vernal, Utah. There was no mask ma mandate at the time, but everybody in Denny's had one on. And as she's sitting there, as they're sitting there serving their food, they're tugging at their biohazard snot cloths and putting their fingers on our plates. I mean, they know nothing about cross-contamination. And I said, so are you wearing masks because of the of the franchise management or what's the deal here? She goes, no, it's corporate. When you go to these places, you have no recompense if you have an issue there. So these are the people that can help you, can help you with your quality, with the service, the, the quality of the product, the locals. It's not going to be these massive chains. And we're seeing that in a lot of places. So let's see at the, at the end of this article, they're saying, so what happens, what happens now? He says here that you should expect to see more big money players flow into the campground business in the next few years. You'll also see a boom in new campground construction. That's already started. We'll see how the construction's going. This is the other problem. Look at how expensive everything is right now. Look at the lumber. Do you think there's going to be a long-term impact on people's ability to go and camp at these places? because they're not cheap anymore. These bigger places are more expensive. I've spent as little as $8 at a place overnight, where others now, $60 to camp a night at KOA is not unheard of. So he says here, 
ultimately the demands from the camper market will dictate how many campsites are added to the national inventory, what amenities are offered and what a night of camping will cost. Again, the stuff that I've mentioned, he has not factored into this. He says, he asks another question too, is the end of the six decade era of mom and pop uh, campgrounds to be mourned or celebrated? He says he's not sure. I have an answer for that. I already gave it to you. Family ownership has been the bedrock of camping business for 60 years. The vast majority of, of them are wonderful folks. It's sad to see them leaving. He says, I can early remember my corporate KOA life when we called the campgrounds the last small towns of America. I suspect the corporate owned parks might not be able to maintain that Mayberry feeling as camp, uh, campgrounds surpass the 500 site mark. Who wants that? I don't want to camp there. I guess we'll have to wait and see if camping as we know it or knew it becomes just a fond memory. Again, my way of getting around this is I don't just go. And <laughs> Phil, Phil is mentioning um, what I, exactly what I was going to say. Try to go to places where your friends can have you stay there. I've got property here. I tell people, hey, you know what? If you want to try and camp in the Uintas, it's crazy right now. Come camp in my place. I've got room. I've got friends. My friends are welcome here. So Phil said, yeah, Suzanne, you can come camp at my place for free. And I've been there. So yes, and I've done that. And that's what you're going to do. That's what I'm doing next week. I'm camping on a friend's private property for a gathering. So try and go to events like that instead of just stay at these places. I'm not trying to get any of these big places to go out of business, but if you don't want to pay those prices, if you really want that intimate feeling with your friends, um, you know, there are ways to get around this. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for this because, Jeff, I think my favorite KOA was in North Carolina at Hatteras. That was when I took the boys out for a month. And, oh, my gosh, these poor guys, other than a three-day stint for the Indianapolis 500, I took them to Jamestown. We went to Monticello, James Polk's house. Uh, what was the other one? Madison's house. I know the name of a Montpellier. We went to so many places of historic significance. They finally said, we're done. I said, okay, we're going to the beach. And this place was gorgeous. And it had been underwater about six to eight feet underwater, but it was rebuilt and it was gorgeous. It was rebuilt. Thank you, everybody in America for making that trip wonderful because your tax dollars from federal flood insurance hurricane insurance paid for that. So there's no getting around it. Anyway, Jeff, anything you want to say? And we'll wrap up the show. Yep. I'll chime in and say that if you can make it out to uh, Maine, you're welcome to camp with us when I'm out there in July. The mom and pops, anytime a mom and pop goes away and is replaced by a big corporate chain, we are less free and have less opportunities because mom and pops, you know, that's the backbone of uh, employment backbone of money, uh, wealth being made. So when these people aren't making themselves wealth, you know, uh, we're all less rich for it. Yeah. So, well, we appreciate it, everybody. I love the crowd today. Love the response. <laughs> Jeff, when I said, let's just do a show Saturday, because I'm not going to have time this week. I know nobody's going to show up. In fact, we were just going to record it offline and do that. And we just decided to do the Facebook live. We didn't think anybody would show up up. So we're absolutely delighted with those of you that have not only listened, but have also participated means a lot to us. We'll get some more red hot chili prepper coming up again, please. If you can find it in your heart, your wallet, support the show, Suzanne C. There's a donate page there. 
Anchor FM. You can donate there as well. We will see you in about a week. Thank you so much, everybody. Don't forget to tell your friends if you like the show because we need your help fighting the big tech giant algorithm. Tell your friends, help us out. God bless you. Have a great week.